everyone, it's Friday, December 18th, 2020, and this is going to be a little quick hit episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisenlake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. In today's episode, we're just going to be talking about one thing and a couple of ideas kind of surrounding it, and that is the Mustang Mach-E. Reviews have been out. Obviously, go talk to the people who have touched them, seen them, driven them. Uh, They're going to give you some pretty good feedback about where things are at. Uh, I highly recommend Doug DeMuro's video where he goes really in-depth about the Mach-E. You know, he he just really did a bang-up job on highlighting the details, talking about how it drives, and really putting it into context for where the market is. And that's really the key thing, is context in today's market. Uh, The Mach-E is not without its peers, uh, to say the least. Uh, Whether you look at it strictly as a compact crossover, which it kind of isn't, uh, or strictly an EV, which obviously it is, uh, more or less, you know, it's about the size of a Tesla Model Y. Uh, It's got very similar performance to a base trim Tesla Model Y. It's got a very similar range. Um, You know, it's going to have much better build quality, but all in all, you know, Ford really seemed to have done their homework and developed a car themselves that can go toe-to-toe with Tesla and really not sweat the details. And I think that's really the key thing here, is that comparing it directly to Tesla, I don't see any reason why not to get the Mach-E unless you're hung up on the fact that it has a Mustang name in front of it. Uh... Yeah, uh, the only other thing I could really see kind of being a blip or a bump on the radar uh, in the next year or so would be the Nissan Aria. Uh, The Aria is going to have its own bespoke chassis. It's got the next-gen batteries and engine, or excuse me, motors from the uh, Leaf. Uh, The Aria seems to be priced a little bit more affordably than where the Mustang is going to start at. But in the end, you know, they're both going to occupy the same neighborhood. uh, And... You know, that's where things get a little bit tough because, you know, I believe the Mach-E starts at, what is it, $43,000, ish thousand dollars for a base trim, uh, what do they call it, a select trim model. Uh, that one, you know, comes with a pretty decent suite of standard features, but adding, you know, some of the things that would be nice to have pushes it, you know, right around a 50, give or take, uh, without too much effort. And in that instance... You know, you got to take into consideration the $7,500 tax credit, and you're still looking at give or take $40,000. And I think the question for a lot of people is, can you get more for your money shopping elsewhere? And the only other vehicle I could really think of off the top of my head, just as we're talking about this, to kind of compare it directly to, is something like a Toyota Venza. Uh, It's going to have some kind of compromised interior volume due to style choices just like the Mach-E it's going to have some you know green credentials just because it is a Toyota hybrid underneath Um, you know it's going to have some nicer luxury touches just because it's meant to be not necessarily a halo vehicle for the brand but it's supposed to attract a different set of buyers and you know dollar for dollar a 40 plus thousand dollar fifty thousand dollar Toyota Venza is you know nothing to sleep on uh, that is going to be max luxury within the Toyota brand for the most part. Uh, they, the vehicle does use Lexus quality materials. It's built in the same plant uh, as some pretty high-end stuff in Japan. And 
whether or not you feel like you're getting the most for your money there versus a lower trim Mach-E, you know, I think kind of depends on how you're looking at things. And whether or not one is going to be worth more money than the other after a few years, I think the Toyota kind of wins there, but that's also not necessarily the point for the Ford either. Um, you know, if you're a family that's looking to buy a new compact-ish two-row crossover, you know, you've got a pretty wide set of options here. And it's a set of options that are really going to be growing with a wide variety of powertrains uh, in the next few months. And, you know, I the more I've thought about it over the past couple of days, the more I've kind of realized how cloudy, clouded and cloudy things are for the Mach-E. Like I said, the Aria is probably the main competitor when it comes to EVs. Uh, Hyundai, which I think they're going to be selling it under the Ionic brand, uh, has a new two-row crossover coming out that will be fully electrified with give or take 300 miles of electric range. Uh, that will take some considering against the Mustang. Uh, Chevrolet has the Bolt EUV coming out next year. Um, that will have some of the same uh, level two uh, self-driving stuff that the Mach-E has. Uh, it'll also have closer to 300 miles of electric range, uh, but the Bolt EUV might be a little bit cheaper because it does have a front-wheel drive based platform um you know take into consideration the the, the plug-in hybrids and other hybrids there's a plug-in hybrid uh santa fe coming there is a plug-in hybrid uh sorrento coming there is a plug-in hybrid uh toyota the rav4 prime that's already here uh if that you know gets the full run of vehicles that it's supposed to have next year uh that you know makes a pretty strong case for itself uh, not only as an electric vehicle with close to 50 miles of electric range, but having that gas motor to back it up so that the car can drive another 300 plus miles uh, and be a little bit more of a long distance commuter, which the Mustang Mach-E kind of sort of can't. And that's where I kind of get to my other sticking point is that a lot of people I think are getting really hung up on the fact that the Mach-E is an electric vehicle and the hurdles that come with electrical or electric vehicle ownership. Uh, having had my Volt for, uh, well, so what, six months now, almost six months now, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, you know, I feel like I've gotten into the swing of how things work when it comes with an electric vehicle. The thing is, you know, you got to charge it every day. You got to plug it in and get some juice in there to get the most out of what you got uh, underneath the hood. And the hard part for me is I live in an apartment, so I don't have easy access to electric vehicle charging. You know, bless the folks who are above me uh, at both of my jobs that give me the thumbs up to be able to charge uh, at those businesses. Uh, and they don't mind paying the extra, you know, a couple of dollars a month uh, in electric or in their electric bill for me, which is great. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's not the case for everyone either. And I think what a lot of people miss out on and what a lot of people I think overestimate is how many miles they put on their car each day, each week. You know, me, typical week, I maybe, maybe might do 100, 120 miles, maybe 150 miles total. That's might be a little bit more of a fair assumption, 150. And that's no sweat range-wise for something like a Mach-E, uh, presumably something like the new Aria, uh, definitely a Tesla. 
and what it really kind of boils down to there is, you know, if you're just going day to day, you know, 20 to 40 miles, you're going to be able to fill up at home on a trickle charger. You don't have to install a level two unit if you don't want to, if you don't want to pay the, you know, 500 to $1,000 to get it installed. Um, it's also important to take into consideration, at least while we're here on that point, is that a lot of states offer rebates uh, through your electric company to install those chargers in your home. Uh, here in Michigan, uh, Consumers Energy, and I believe Detroit Edison over on the east side, they both will pay you uh, up to 500 bucks to install a level two charger in your garage, uh, which takes care of a pretty big cost. Uh, that being said, you know, you still have to buy the charger itself, which isn't exactly cheap. Um, but in the end, you know, it works. And do you need it? Eh. Is it nice to have? Yeah. Um, but most people, you know, if you're only putting less than 200 miles on your car each week, in theory, you know, you could survive off the trickle charger and then it comes to the end of the week, you know, you go to a quick charge station somewhere close by if there is one and you fill up the rest of the way and you've got another 150, 190, 200 plus miles of charge uh, to deal with through the next week. And, you know, if you're taking a highway trip, Using those quick charge options with modern electric cars isn't going to destroy the battery. They're designed to take that kind of juice in and control the temperatures and condition the battery uh, so that it's ready to go. And in the end, you know, I think people are get a little too hung up on having the electric hurdles uh, in a primary vehicle. But the other thing is, is this going to be a primary car for someone, a Mach-E? And that's where I kind of go, eh, I don't know. And that's what's tough is that for me and my own personal situation, you know, I think of this in terms of myself and my partner. Uh, I have a plug-in hybrid vehicle uh, that gets close to 30 miles of electric range when the weather's good. Uh, she has a very reliable to Toyota otherwise for her day-to-day -day stuff, but she works from home. Does she actually need the car right now? No. Uh, really, I'm the only person who uses a, a car right now for the most part. And in theory, I could have gotten away with just using the Toyota as well. But uh, truth of the matter is, things turn around COVID-wise, we're both going to need a car again. And in our situation, I think one of us could very easily commit to a full electric vehicle and not think twice about it. And we are pretty privileged in that regard. But if you're somebody on your own, you know, you only need one vehicle... I don't see why a Mach-E couldn't work. And for 40 ish thousand dollars, if that's the price range that you're shopping in and you want to make a change and make a greener, you know, option viable, I think it's a really smart way to go because, you know, Ford still has the $7,500 tax credit. They're going to have it for quite a long time compared to a lot of other car companies. Um, so you're going to get a pretty good value. Um, I'm really eager to see one of these in person. Again, a full production model. I'm really eager to see these, uh, get maybe get the chance to drive one eventually at some point um, because I think the Mach-E is probably about as close to perfect as it can get. Um, I really dig what Ford has been able to do with this car. Uh, it's definitely gonna be the vehicle that I recommend to people who are shopping for electric cars, uh, probably for the foreseeable future. I mean, the Tesla Model 3 is the easy one, uh, but I think the Mach-E is kind of where to go simply because you can take it to any Ford dealer nationwide and get it serviced. And that's something that you just cannot do with a lot of other options. And, you know, until the Ari is here, until the Bolt EUV is here, uh, there really aren't a lot of other cars that are going to be like that. And 
you know, that's, that's the big stepping stone is that the price is getting there. The quality is definitely there and the reliability, the dependability, the serviceability is definitely there. And I think really the Maki checks the majority of the boxes that need to get checked for it to be something shopped against, you know, whether it's a, whether it's, you know, a, a fully loaded uh, escape or a mid to upper trim, uh, you know, edge, even at the Ford dealer, I think, I think the Maki makes a pretty good case for itself. So anyway, that's enough rambling uh, for me to talk about uh, the Maki, and it's enough for me rambling in this episode. I'm sure that we will be doing something again very soon because news seems to happen at an interesting pace. We definitely need to talk about Formula One. I think in the next episode. We had an interesting season. There's been some interesting shuffles going on uh, towards the end, uh, and I definitely think it's worth touching on because, uh, you know, who doesn't like to hear a little bit about Formula One? Um, I touched on the uh, potential changes to the branding uh, of this show uh, in the previous episode, and to reiterate on that, not a full confirm, but uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm continuing to uh, want to lean into it. So more details to come uh, when there are details to announce. So anyway, guys, it's Friday. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you are safe uh, and make good decisions. You know, wear a mask, wash your hands, uh, make sure you uh, brush the car off before you go for a drive if you're in a part of the country that's got some snow. We're still waiting on the white stuff here in West Michigan, which feels crazy to say this deep into December, but uh, I'm sure we will see it soon. Anyway, guys, have a great weekend, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.